Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. And today I'm joined with a very special guest, Rob Nance of City Block Capital. So in tech news this week, first up, two stories related to cryptocurrency exchanges and thefts. Uh, the first one is that Cryptopia, a large cryptocurrency exchange out of New Zealand, had a hack. And they had about $3.5 million worth of Ethereum and other tokens stolen. And then a few days later, the same culprits stole another $3.2 million. And a lot has been discussed of whether or not both the exchange in New Zealand and the New Zealand authorities actually have the proper skill set to investigate these crimes. How do they know that these funds were hacked? Well, because the perpetrators actually exited the currency in other exchanges, you could actually see those transactions show up. Because remember, cryptocurrency on a blockchain is an immutable ledger. And so it's always able to be viewed in an open public ledger. In a strange story, a cryptocurrency exchange in Canada called Quadriga, the founder died with the only password to about 137 million US dollars worth of cryptocurrency funds. And the wife, who's the survivor, also one of the executives of the exchange, has said that no matter what they've done, hiring cryptocurrency and cybersecurity experts, they can't hack his password. This leads me to remind you that cryptocurrency, the tokens themselves have not yet been hacked, but exchanges certainly have. And the infrastructure is so new that if you're really not educated as an investor into how to properly store your cryptocurrency and how to actually transfer your cryptocurrency, then maybe it's something that you shouldn't get into until you get that education. For my last story, remember Flickr, the old photo storage site? Originally, purchased by Yahoo, which was then transferred to Oath, and Oath sold the service to SmugMug. Flickr had a one terabyte option for storage. One terabyte is like storing two million digital photos. Well, they announced that as of March 12th, which is already an extension, they will only let you store 1,000 photos for free, and they will delete anything above 1,000 photos unless you're paying for the service. So I recommend that if you're using Flickr, to check your account before March 12th. And that's the news of the week. So welcome back. Once again, I'm joined by Rob Nance of City Block Capital. Hi, Rob. Hey, Keith. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the show. And Rob, I think what you and City Block Capital are doing in the space of digital securities and securitized assets is uh, great, I think, especially for our listeners who are very interested in what blockchain might be, but not really sure because of the whole cryptocurrency thing. So why don't you take a few moments to introduce yourself and explain how you got into this? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Keith. Uh, you know, I, I have a background in, in banking and venture capital. Um, and I think one of the interesting things about venture capital 
is that while it's, it is a great asset class, there's long lockup periods associated with it. And as I was getting to ra- ready to raise my second venture fund, you know, I ran into the kind of the objections everyone runs into, uh, which is, you know, listen, I like this, but there's really long lockup periods associated with this. And, and it's all, you know, locking your capital up for eight to 10 years is a big commitment. And so I started looking for a solution. And really what I discovered was that you can use blockchain technology um, to improve the way that securities um, are formatted, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. So today, there's about $700 trillion of illiquid assets around the world, uh, things like real estate, derivatives that are recorded on paper. And then there's a whole public securities market, which is a, a patchwork of 1980s technology. And what we really saw was we could use blockchain technology to improve the capital markets as they exist today. And so the first step in doing that was to take our venture fund and build it on top of blockchain technology so that investors could access secondary market liquidity much sooner than they could with a, a paper certificate. Let, let's get to an example of that, right? Because you know I'm just the average Joe and I have no idea what blockchain is other than a cryptocurrency. Uh, something like Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? Um, what are you talking about? What is this way of using blockchain technology to serve this market? Sure. So blockchain technology is, is the underlying tech, right, below Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. Um, and what what it allows you to do is take many of the functions that were very manual before uh, in in either keeping a centralized ledger of investors in this case, um, or, or in other cases, right, like in, in currency, making it easy to track who's owned the currency and for how long and, and eliminating the, the problem of double spend um, in an electronic currency like Bitcoin. And it, it allows you to create a lot of efficiencies that have happened in that marketplace. It, what's important to remember is that blockchain is just based on cryptography, right? It's just based on math. And so if you believe in math and you believe that, that math can help uh, improve this owner, you know, an ownership structure, um, then that's all we're doing. And so we're taking this, this very basic technology and we're, we're allowing ourselves to improve systems that, that aren't as efficient today. Yeah, thanks for the explanation. Uh, we've had quite a number of shows on the last year and a half on the basics of blockchain, what cryptocurrencies are, and what you just said, crypto- cryptography, especially in software, has been around three or four decades. And uh, blockchain and things like Bitcoin are just examples of that. But when we talk about using blockchain as a technology versus a currency, these are the things that can be realized. Uh, I like to mention the, basically solving for, instead of double entry accounting, triple entry accounting. So you what, what CityBlock is doing, what you and team are doing in terms of giving access since to these long lockup periods would be very valuable for an investor to stop thinking about, I want to get into Bitcoin to invest in cryptocurrency, but I want to know what vehicles I can use um, to invest my money in other than locking it up for long periods of time. Right. And I think what's important to remember is CityBlock, so we're, we're a venture capital fund. Uh, investors still receive a private placement memorandum, a limited partnership agreement, and a subscription agreement. Uh, those are all documents that our customer receiving. They just also get a digital representation of those. Right. And those digital representations have the laws and regulations baked right into them. So today, if you want to conduct a secondary market transaction, you would go back to the issuer and you would say, hey, I really want to sell this. And they would say yes or no. And if they say yes, then you would have to find a buyer and you would have to work with their attorney and your attorney and the issuer's attorney to facilitate that transaction. Uh, 
what this technology allows us to do is bake right in all of of those restrictions and all uh, all that um, the law, so that today, if if you know after regulatory lockup period, someone would want to sell um, an interest in our fund, they could go do so on a regulated secondary exchange, uh, and they can do it without coming back to us um, and out getting without getting our approval because we've already baked the rules we want right into the technology. And this goes even bigger into public markets because for the first time, regulators, if you think about it, could become a proactive regulatory agency instead of a reactive regulatory agency. So instead of going after somebody for insider trading, they could just stop the transaction before it happened. They could say, this stock is assigned to an insider. And because it is a digital asset, right, it's built with blockchain technology, he can only sell it at certain times. Um, And so we can really eliminate a lot of fraud and actually improve transparency in markets by using this technology. And so far, how have the regulators responded to this type of vehicle? What's interesting is that regulators have basically said, you know, listen, we have the framework to build this. So, you know, our offering is a is a 506C Reg D Reg S offering, um, and the, the framework exists for that. And I think that what they've said is, if you, you know, and we can talk about ICOs later and, and illegal securities, but if if you build this under the framework of current securities, then it is a you know it is, is a legal offering. Hey, hey Rob, let, let, no one... let's take you up on your. Um... Offer. We'll bring it up back in the next segment. So you're listening to okay. Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with Rob Nance, managing partner of CityBlock Capital. Any questions or comments, email us at svin.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Joined today with the managing partner of City Block Capital, Rob Nance. Hi again, Rob. Hey, Keith. So the question of the week is, what are DSOs or digital security offerings or STO, security token offerings? And since, Rob, you're on the show today, I think you'd be great to answer that question. So what are DSOs and STOs? Sure. So a digital security offering or a security token offering, the, the names kind of used interchangeably uh, is, a, um, is a securities offering um, that is built using blockchain technology to facilitate easier secondary market transactions and more transparent ownership. So uh, today, you know, you, you can kind of make the comparison to mail and email. Right. Uh, they both have the same function, just like regular securities and digital securities. One is just quicker. Uh, it's more transparent, um, it's cheaper, uh, and it's, it connects with, with people quicker. Thanks. And with that, compare and contrast that to the ICO craze of 2017 and early 18, um, initial coin offerings is what still are in people's minds regarding, you know, quote unquote, blockchain investments or blockchain technology. Right. So, so ICOs where, uh, a number of people attempted to build networks, and the way that they incentivized, incentivized those networks to work together uh, was through selling a token that uh, was could be used on that network. So the example I use is really easy for everyone to understand is that if you go to Chuck E. Cheese or Dave & Buster's, you put a dollar in and you get a coin out that only works in their ecosystem. You play a game, you win tickets, and then you can turn those tickets in for prizes. 
Um, that's at a very basic level what a lot of these ICOs tried to do. What was, what was illegal about it, according to U.S. securities laws, is that they were raising money uh, because people had an expectation of return. In other words, they got these tokens and they said, hey, we're going to use, you know, these are going to appreciate and I'm going to sell them. And there was a huge, a huge pump in the market uh, that was just purely based on speculation, not on the merits of these projects, um, not on what they actually accomplished, but simply based on speculation. And they didn't follow securities laws. Um, so I separate those a lot from from STOs, which are or security token or digital securities offerings, which are simply the digitization of securities that exist. Yeah, I think it's really important to impress upon the listener that um, ICOs were uh, some made it, you know, quote unquote, before the the big scrutiny from regulators, and some were outright scams. We can think about things using Kodak Coin, which was Kodak licensing their brand, um, to just complete complete frauds. And not to get confused that STOs are trying to be fully regulated, fully compliant, um, and backed by an asset. Uh, Absolutely. And, and that's the thing to remember is that, uh, you know, you could, someone could launch an ICO today or one of these networks and do it uh, via securities laws. Um, and, and that could be considered an STO. So what I would say is that, um, you know, while all, while all ICOs should, should follow the securities laws or be an STO, not all security tokens, right, or digital securities are ICOs. In other words, um, the biggest use case today for this digital security offering is improving the transparency, improving the second market liquidity, improving the access for investors to traditional asset classes. Yeah, and, and I think the more folks like you in City Block and the more education we can bring, it's important because I think a lot of people were a little bit gun shy after the collapse of a Bitcoin back in late 2017. And then, you know, a lot of people try to recreate that. And so again, there's still a lot of confusion between an ICO and STO. So we're trying to clear that confusion out that really the STO, what you and the team are doing is creating the secondary market, but backed by assets and regulated and gone through the regulatory process. Was that correct? Correct. So we've gone through, listen, we're a venture capital fund. Um, just like any other venture capital fund in the Valley, we have raised, we have created an offering uh, very similar to theirs. The difference is we also have a digital representation of that offering. And that digital representation allows us to accept more investors um, at, at lower dollar amounts uh, than they would in a, in a traditional offering. Um, and it allows them the option of selling that one day. So at, over the course of time, if the fund achieves a return that's satisfactory to that investor, they can turn around and sell it on a secondary marketplace uh, that is that is legal um, and exit that position without going through the cumbersome process of trying to do it uh, based on paper certificates that exist today. Yeah, and I, I can imagine um, a company like SharesPost, who does this for pre-IPO stock, uh, that would be a similar use case. Right. Well, it's funny you say that, Keith. Uh, you know, we, we announced this week that we are partnering with SharesPost for our offering. So they do, they'll do four things uh, for us. The first is uh, initial issuance. So right now, um, as we're raising money for our fund, uh, individuals can go on there who are accredited investors and invest into our fund. Um, the second thing that SharesPost then does is they, they then custody that digital asset for investors. So 
uh, I use this example. Uh, many people have seen the movie Die Hard, right? So, um, you know, people worry about custody, right? You hear about people losing Bitcoin all the time and, you know, or getting stolen out of their wallet. Um, so when I talk about Die Hard, people go, you know, they, the, the terrorists broke into Nakatomi Plaza and they stole the bearer bonds. Um, they stole the bearer bonds because if you bear them, they're yours and, you know, they, they have value. Um, that's like Bitcoin, right? Or that's like a cryptocurrency. If you bear it, it's yours. Um, they didn't break into Nakatomi Plaza to steal stock in the corporation uh, because the corporation would have just reissued stock the next day. And that's the exact same with our offering. We have a, you know, gasp for crypto investors. We have a centralized ledger of who owns what. So if someone lost their digital representation of our fund, it doesn't mean they no longer have an interest in the fund, right? It just means that we go, okay, well, we have your documents that you signed, so we'll just issue you new ones and cancel the old ones. Mm -hmm. So there's not this big, scary custody issue that exists. However, we still have someone like Shares Post that custodies it so that someone doesn't have to worry about it. The third thing that Shares Post does for us is they provide coverage on our fund, just like an equity analyst provides coverage on a stock. So they look at our portfolio companies, they look at how we're managing it, and provide um, kind of unbiased third-party commentary about our fund. The last thing they do uh, is they facilitate the secondary market liquidity so that if investors do want to sell, there is a marketplace where they can go and do so. Um, and they do that because they're a regulated broker-dealer and an ATS, which is an alternative trading system. Yeah, it's uh, a couple of things. One, just a reminder, a credit investor, somebody who makes $200,000 a year or a net worth of over a million dollars, not including their primary residence. And the other thing, Rob, is I didn't think you were old enough to have seen Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a Christmas classic. <laughs> so it's also funny is uh, we expect to have John Wu of Shares Post on our show uh, back soon. So it'll, it'll be good to tie all this together when he's on. Yeah, John's been great and instrumental in our process, and uh, I think one of the one of the the great things about our partnership is that they have sixty thousand accredited investors on their platform. So this is a great way that someone can get access to, and I'll talk a bit in a little bit about the managers we have for this first fund that are elite level managers. That that if it wasn't for this structure, uh, individuals wouldn't have access to any other way. So it's great that those investors can have access to these managers. Um, in kind of a very unique space. So I'm going to pause you right there, Rob, because I want to impress again that if people had heard about Facebook or Google or now Uber or Airbnb before they went IPO, people who tried to get in but couldn't get in because institutional investors took all that capacity away from them, uh, things like using an STO vehicle through CityBlock Capital and SharesPost um, is a way to do that. SharesPost is already the leading exchange for private um, pre-IPO type of offerings. And so we're going to get more into that in our next segment. Once again, you're listening to Keith Koo, Silicon Valley Insider, joined with the managing partner of CityBlock Capital, Rob Nance. You have questions or comments regarding today's show, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined with the managing partner of CityBlock Capital, Rob Nance. So in this week's Cyber Tip, I had moderated a panel a couple weeks back at the Cyber Summit 2019 in Silicon Valley 
Uh, my panel was ransomware to pay or not to pay. And we had folks like Elvis Chan, who's the head of cyber security and investigations for the FBI out of San Francisco. So I wanted to just give some tips on what to do to protect yourself from ransomware and whether you should pay or not pay. So as a consensus, we recommend that you don't pay. Most cases of people attempting to pay, you really don't know whether you're paying the ransom or not, whether it's in Bitcoin or fiat currency, if you actually get your data back. And at worst, you might lose a spreadsheet, a bank statement, or some family photos, but it probably isn't worth it because studies have shown that for people who've attempted to pay the ransom, uh, they're likely to get asked for ransom again. Some things that you should be doing is to back up your files, whether you're a business owner or whether you're an individual, there are backup solutions that are economical for you. And you should also always keep your software updated. So this is like Microsoft Windows or a MacBook operating system or for businesses, things that keep your company running. You don't want to be in a situation like Atlanta was in last year where they had not backed up anything. They lost about 17 years of data for what somebody had held them hostage for, for about $50,000. They ended up paying $17 million. And so again, not a question of whether they should have paid the 50000 They should have taken some steps to keep themselves safe. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. So once again, we have Rob Nance, Managing Partner, City Block Capital. Hi again, Rob. Hey, Keith. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And so, Rob, we've had a really great discussion, an overview of security token offerings, digital security offerings, and what CityBlock is doing. I wanted to take a moment for you to introduce who's involved in this project. Sure. So CityBlock's first fund is, is focused on blockchain capital markets infrastructure. So we think of it as the intersection of capital markets and blockchain, which we think is the, the first use case for disruption of blockchain technology because there are already acquirers in the space. Banks are the largest holder of patents today for blockchain technology, mm-hmm. and they are ready to acquire companies in this space. There's lots of other applications we don't think are, are ready today. Because of that, partnered with two great individuals to deploy capital for our first fund. The first is Nikhil, Nikhil Kelgadi. So Nikhil is a former principal at SoftBank Capital, a partner at Vast Ventures, and he is at CoVenture Crypto now along with our other partner, which is Atit Alawalia. Atit uh, ran trading strategies for Goldman in London, worked at Bluecrest, a hedge fund, spent positive about $500 million in his P&L trading. And they run a liquid strategies crypto fund. And what's really interesting about this is that because they run this liquid strategies fund, they see a lot of these infrastructure plays where we invest every day. People come and say, hey, can you test our software that we want to use? And when I talked to them, they said, listen, we don't have a dedicated venture fund for this, but we see these great venture deals. And so we partnered with them. And when they see great venture deals, they, they bring them to us and we make investments into, into those deals. And so the way we think about investing is, is very picks and shovels. It's the Warren Buffett approach. Warren Buffett doesn't buy oil, but he buys the pipeline that oil goes through. He doesn't mm-hmm. buy coal, but he buys the rail cars and the railroad that transports it. So when we look at the blockchain ecosystem, we see a lot of assets becoming digital assets. We see some form of cryptocurrency winning in the future, but we don't know which one, and we don't know how to value it. So we're going to invest 
where we know, which is early stage technology companies as venture capitalists, we know how to value them. And we're going to invest in that infrastructure that's being built and take a piece of those transactions. So we don't care if Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these other digital currencies win. We think that there will be a winner in that space. And we think that as more stocks and bonds and commodities become digital assets, there's an opportunity to take pieces of those transactions in various ways. So we're just investing picks and shovels in the infrastructure around it. It's a great way for someone that says, you know, I, I really feel like the blockchain is, is like the internet in 94 and, and I really want to get a piece of this, but I, I don't want cryptocurrency exposure. That's who our fund's designed for. And that's, that's how we think about the space. Yeah, it's a healthy way to think about it. Back to reemphasizing the point you just made. We, we talk about a lot, internet 1994, but I actually go back to the network protocols itself, which was like mid 80s. Because we, like you said, we haven't even decided on Bitcoin or Ethereum yet. The market thought it was decided, but it really hasn't been. So I'm glad you brought that up. And then the picks and shovels example, you know, being a Chinese American and being in Silicon Valley, a lot of the folks who came in during the gold rush, very few people made money off the gold rush, right? Uh, William Hurst actually made money mining silver when everyone else was mining gold. And then everyone else who made money were the people who had the general store, the laundromats and the restaurants, right? So that is exactly where people should be thinking about moving away from cryptocurrency and going towards what does the technology represent? And the things you mentioned earlier in the show around giving access to markets, giving investors who normally wouldn't have access to these types of investments, but creating this platform so that anyone across the world who's been accredited can buy into these funds without having to be locked up and also there's just less friction. I think that's great. Right. And, and, you know, we look at it. And so, you know, we have very low investment minimums and it allows people to access these very high quality institutional deals, deals that, you know, there's some really interesting things going on out there right now. And no one talks about it because they're focused on the price of cryptocurrency, but they don't look at companies like Bact. So Bact was started by the Intercontinental Exchange, which is the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange. Mm -hmm. And they are building a digital asset exchange. And that's very important because they look and say, okay, you know, what's going to happen if digital assets become a thing and every stock, bond, commodity, and currency becomes digital? How do we trade that? We don't have the infrastructure. So when someone that big makes a huge, you know, huge bet on that space, um, that's where we look to invest. That type of player, that type of deal, not somebody that's building some coin somewhere to do something. You know, we only invest in equity. And I think that's key. You know, we're buying into real businesses that are building real products. So just touching back on how would an investor understand that you're regulated, right? You talked about it a little bit earlier in the show, but walk an investor through that. How can they get confidence that you're everything that a normal venture capital fund would have to go through to be qualified, even though you're using a digital security offering or a security token? Right. Well, they would go and, and look at our documents which are, if you go to Shares Post, they're available there. You can see our private placement memorandum. They can, can see our limited partnership agreement, our subscription agreement. These are all normal docs. Now, this is what's called an exempt offering, right? Exempt from registration under the SEC, just as every venture fund is that's out there. But we have certain disclosures, and, and we talk about how we frame this and why it's legal. You know, what I can say is we've worked with an army of attorneys <laughs> over the past 18 months to build this in a compliant way. And I think that that's also evidenced by the fact that you know, we work with a, a great company in this space that has vetted us extremely thoroughly before they associated themselves with us. Okay. And so 
I'm listening to the show. How do I get information or how do I participate in your fund? Sure. There's two ways. You can go to shareswithpost.com and you can look at our offering there. You can also go to cityblockcapital.com um, and, and get information about our fund there. Um, Shares Post is probably the best and most efficient and easiest way to, to purchase the security. So, Rob, you've covered a lot of ground for what you've done with CityBlock so far. What's next? You know, we're closing out our offering. So we've been raising capital. We're going to close it out in the next 30 days. And the great, the great and interesting thing about the CityBlock model and what's different from anybody else that's built a digital security is that we've created a platform for digital securities. So our first offering is called NYCQ. So NYC, because we think of New York as, as the financial capital of the world, Q is, is uh, kind of alludes to the liquidity associated with it. Um, but what's great is that because we partner with amazing managers, our plan is to go and work with other managers in other fields. So this, we focus really on this blockchain technology. An area I think that's very interesting is esports. So finding an amazing manager in esports and doing the same thing and finding someone that has access to the best deals, uh, that has a great track record, and then raising a similar fund to this fund and having access for investors in the same way, and then repeating that over and over again. We've done a lot of the heavy lifting. So the heavy lifting is how do we create a legal offering? Um, how do we go through that process uh, with the lawyers and the technologists um, and, and then building something on top of it, establishing the right partnerships? So now we'd like to scale and find great managers and provide more access. So this is the first step. Um, we're excited about this fund. Uh, we're excited about a lot of the investors that have come in. We have investors, I think, 14 countries over the all over the world. So, for example, I'm meeting this Friday with some of our, our, our Japanese investors, which is really exciting, uh, who found our offering online uh, that had no connection with us before. <laughs> That's crazy. So we're connecting with a lot of people in the world. Uh, that want to, want exposure to this, and, and we want to scale it. And I think that's what really differentiates us from other people that may have done a fund in this space. They've done one fund, and then they go back to their normal life. Uh, this this is our life. It's, it's building this digital security world and supporting it um, and and allowing people that wouldn't have access to these managers have access to them. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. And I want to make sure people are clear that the NYCQ is not a traditional stock ticker symbol. That is the label of your fund, right? That's the token. That, that'll be That's the, the name of fund. Will that be the token all as well? Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a NYCQ token, right, or digital asset that right. represents it. Okay. It, it just make sure people uh, were clear that it's the actual token and not like a, a stock ticker. And I think again, right. esports, e virtual gaming, all that is a big opportunity for a platform like this. Right. Well, if you look at what family offices want, for example, today, three big areas they're looking at is blockchain, esports, and cannabis. So not that those are the three we would do, but I think that's where there's a lot of investor interest. And there's something interesting we can do, which is we find emerging managers that have a great track record that have not gotten to the point that institutions are putting money at them. Maybe they're between fund three and four, but they will. And, you know, I think this is where there's a lot of value to be captured. These managers tend to outperform existing managers. And so, you know, if we can find manager that wants a dedicated pool of capital, we love working with them. We love building a great fund around them and, and finding great investors for that fund. So, Rob, we're out of time, but I want to thank you again for giving us a great education into this market and what CityBlock is doing. I think we need to stay very close because this is going to be rapidly changing, very dynamic, and that 
more and more industries are going to be jumping in once they realize the potential. So thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me, Keith. So you've been listening to the Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Had Rob Nance, Managing Partner of Block Capital. You have any questions or comments on today's show, email us at info at svin.biz, and we'll get you connected to the CityBlock team. Thanks. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Earlier in today's show, we had Rob Nance, managing partner of CityBlock Capital, talking about how they are using blockchain technology in a revolutionary way to tokenize funds. And the purpose of that is to give investors around the world the ability to get in and out of what normally would be a long lockup period in venture capital, and also to be able to provide those funds to emerging startups uh, right now, their fund is focused on infrastructure in the blockchain space. So things like custodial services and trading platforms for blockchain. So please download the podcast if you missed the earlier part of the show. Next, I wanted to talk about an upcoming conference, the second annual Tulip Emerging Technology Conference. Last year, we had over 100 speakers, folks like Dr. Vanila Singh, Chief Medical Officer of the U.S., uh, also, John Madison, Chief Health Information Officer of Kaiser, Dr. Mohammed Yunus, Nobel Peace Prize winner for microfinance. This year's theme is a conference built for moonshots, a platform for people solving impossible problems. Some of those themes will be the blockchain promise. So just like last year, we were not a cryptocurrency conference. We were really advocating for adoption of blockchain as a technology to serve many industries, including medicine, healthcare, automotive, real estate, and things like the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals. Agile government, how the digital transformation promises a more responsive and open government. We will be talking about the future of crypto or cryptocurrencies and how even governments will be adopting these platforms to have their own cryptocurrency. Uh, we'll address computing addiction and device addiction, as well as using technology to save and serve post-disasters, natural disasters, earthquakes, floods, etc. So if you're interested in either being a speaker or a sponsor, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll get you connected to the Tulip team. Now I want to turn back to what we introduced in our last show, The Pivot. Last week, we talked about a new segment in which we're talking about how companies and organizations have had to transform sometimes for success and sometimes for failure. Today, I want to go into an individual who made many pivots, and people might not think about that, and that is Steve Jobs, former founder of Apple. Steve had many, many career transitions. Uh, We think of him for he and Steve Wozniak founding Apple Computer, But when he left the first time, he decided to actually build Next, a company that was going to crush Apple because he felt slighted. And Next was innovative in a number of ways uh, that would later serve Steve. However, Next as a company ultimately failed. Steve had to actually close that business down. And the reasons behind that was that he was trying to do several different things and being innovative. Um, He had an open culture where everyone knew 
what everyone else was making. And that caused uh, very interesting salary negotiations for the people. But what then happened was <clears throat> he actually introduced a very expensive machine. It was $1,300 at the time, which was even more expensive than an Apple. Uh, also, the challenge of finding killer apps for this platform. But what did happen out of Next, even though he had to shut down a lot of the operation, was that he created both an operating system and he also created a development environment. Uh, this happened to coincide at a time where Apple was in decline because they just weren't innovating. And so Apple actually purchased the assets of Next and Steve Jobs. And the rest we say is history. Mac OS, which is the Mac operating system that runs on many of all throughout Apple's platform, iPhone, iPad, MacBook, and their computers, that was originally the Next operating system. Additionally, uh, Steve originally wanted Next to be a hardware platform, but in doing so, he transformed the company or pivoted into a software platform. And he didn't do it just with Next and Apple. He also did it with Pixar. When Steve Jobs initially bought Pixar, the idea was that they're building high-performance computers in order to do things like medical imaging and special effects. And the problem with this, just like with Next, is that it's a very niche market with very few customers and they sold very few machines or boxes. Uh, so not a good way to monetize your idea. Instead, they decided to partner with Disney and created Toy Story, the original full-length feature, which was a huge success and they focused on producing movies in addition to still selling software in these niche markets. Steve Jobs, though, even though he reinvented himself with both Apple and Pixar, it still wasn't a completely straight path. We know that at a time in the early 2000s, Apple again was not doing so hot, and Steve introduced the iPod, which then led to a revolution in the entire content and app store and ways you can um, enable an entire ecosystem. So these are the types of stories I want to focus on with the pivot. My invitation to you is to submit your ideas, either your company or a story that you like to feature, because this is about innovation and disruption. These are the types of stories that need to be told, just like Jed UF, regular guest says in his book, Disrupt or Die. If you have an idea that you want to submit for The Pivot, email us at info at svn.biz. You can reach me on LinkedIn, Keith Koo, Facebook, Keith Koo, and Twitter, SVI underscore Keith. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.